This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. good to be back home. Amen? All right, so before we go to work, the preacher's heart is full and his Bible is on fire. So I'm going to need you to take out your Bibles, whether print or electronic, because really and truly didn't come to see CJ, came to see Jesus. We want him to be exalted. We want him to be lifted up. We want him to be heard. I cannot uh, move forward without first thanking um, James and the church and Pastor Rose for the invitation to come and the privilege to speak at this pulpit. This is my home. This is my, my church home where I grew up. I left here in the fall of 2006 and uh, I've been away in Georgia and in Michigan and Maryland and now in Northern Virginia. But this has always been home for me. So the really and truly this is a homecoming. And so I'm excited to be here. I've seen so many faces, I don't have time to name all of them. And I love, by the way, that I'm hearing young people right now because it tells me that this church is growing, amen? And my kids are gonna be chiming in very soon anyway. So that's all right with me. But I'm happy to be here, I really, really am. Those of you watching online, I wanna greet you and thank you for joining us today as well. But why don't we go ahead and pray? We want to ask God to be with us as we get into his word, and we really want what he has in store for us, the needs that we have brought to this worship experience to be met as we go and engage in his word now. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, thank you, thank you in advance for what you're going to do as a result of this word. Already I know, Father, because of all the spiritual warfare that has preceded this moment to prevent me from actually being here to present At this moment, clearly you have something that you want to say to somebody sitting here today or watching right now online. This is a moment that you have ordained, and I thank you in advance that that you're using an imperfect vessel to communicate a beautiful, perfect, and loving God. Right now, we are asking that your beautiful, rich, indescribable character of love will come through through the text, and that that love will be revealed most vividly and clearly in your son, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen for us. And that Holy Spirit, you will bring that home to our hearts and allow it to fuse into our lives and flow out to those around us in our sphere of influence. We want to be those that love God, love people, and make disciples. Help us to be real conduits of that experience. We thank you in advance, Father. Have your way now in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen. It was a really joy and privilege to watch her as she would serve and lead in the serving of the children of our church, particularly as the adventurer's director. But I could not understand for the life of me why, Kathy, she just could not seem to get along with people. She just couldn't seem to get along with people, particularly in the church, those that were parents, And I I was trying to wrap my head around this because she's so good at what she does, so organized, so professional, so just life-giving to what was going on with our our youth and our children particularly. And then I I kind of 
discovered an experience that happened with her and the parents where she organized a very thorough, well put together manual when it came to the adventurers. And when they would have questions they want to ask her directly, she would say, go check the manual. That's why I put it together. I mean, you don't need to talk to me when everything is right there in the book. And they felt a little kind of put back by that. And then I discovered also, being a rookie pastor at the time, I've been pastoring now for nine years, being a rookie pastor at the time, I discovered that this had been a pattern with her, just not getting along and having some conflict with people in other churches, maybe two or three churches prior to the one that I was at at the time, and that this was a pattern. And then one day she was there meeting with us, the pastoral staff of the church, just having casual conversation. And then finally, when we brought this up, she just came right out and said it. She said, listen, I just want to come here, serve the children of the church as the adventurer director, and go home. I don't want to have to engage and nurture relationships and manage and steward relationships. I just want to come. And that's, in essence, what she's saying, family, is she's saying, I want to be here to focus on the task and not the people. And maybe you've experienced or witnessed something like this, or maybe, maybe I'm talking to someone who's actually been like this, and maybe all of us at some level can, re- can relate to that experience. But here's the thing. This type of mindset, it could be that it was someone that just doesn't want to engage in relationships and they're having conflict. They don't know how to manage those relationships well. They're not to love well. But it could also be that you've experienced someone that's very gifted, very talented, but also they feel like their gift is better than everybody else's gift. Their gift is the one that needs more prime time. It needs to be more visible, right? Or maybe they feel like it's some kind of competition when it comes to their gift and everybody else's, right? And this is problematic, church. You know why? Because this is one of the reasons why a lot of churches experience a lot of hurt, woundedness, and division. And this is what's on the pastoral heart of Paul. As he writes to the church in Corinth, in Greece. Now, if you're at all familiar with the story of Scripture and the book of Corinth and that church, you'll, you'll understand very quickly, if, you, if you're familiar with that book, that he's dealing with a church that's jacked up and messed up in all kind of ways. This church has dealt with sexual immorality and incest, and it's, it's, he's dealing in this book with people that are kind of getting a little more selfish and self-righteous, and, 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 and they are also very gifted, but they're also very divided. And he's now here writing, addressing one of the particular areas that they're divided in, in the passage that we're about to take a look at now. Now, if you're like me growing up, I would read the Bible, particularly the writings of Paul, particularly, where it seems like he's all over the place, right? And you would conclude one chapter and you would think, oh, well, he just concluded a thought. So the next chapter, he's now going to move into another thought. And then the next chapter, he's going to move into another thought, right? But what you'll discover is that the Bible, when it was put together... The Holy Spirit led, but human beings were involved, and they did, in, in order to help us have a little bit ease of read and reference, they gave us chapter divisions and verses and punctuation that was not there in the original text. Are you with me? And so the thought that Paul introduces as we now get ready to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the preacher should have given you enough time to get there by now, right? He is going to continue his thought beyond chapter 12 into 13, where we're going to be today, and He'll continue it and conclude it in chapter 14. What's the thing that's on his heart? Well, when I was growing up and reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12 particularly, I thought that his primary subject was spiritual gifts. That's what he's dealing with in chapter 12. Then he's going to leave spiritual gifts and he's going to move into something else that we're going to talk about in a second. 
But what you'll discover is that Paul has one complete thought, one true north, from chapters 12 to 14. And he is talking about spiritual gifts, yes, in chapters 12 to 14, but the primary reason he's dealing with spiritual gifts is because he has a deeper subject to address. And that is our oneness, listen, our oneness, our unity, and our equality as the body of Christ. It's from this context that he moves into the subject of spiritual gifts. Why? People were in the church thinking that their gift, there's a Jamaican way of saying this, that may not be the most appropriate for this setting right now, but some people say your poop can make patty. Somebody understood what I just said. All right. Please forgive me if you didn't understand the context. Hopefully I can receive forgiveness and grace later and explain that context. But the idea there is that you think your, your gift is more special than everybody else's. And, and it's causing division in the church. Now, I know I'm dealing with a church here. This is my home church, okay? I know I'm dealing with a church, and I'm watching it happen right now. And I was so, my heart is so full from seeing the first service and experiencing it. But there's gifted people in this church serving in a variety of ministries with different kinds of spiritual gifts. And so maybe you've asked this question. And here's our question for today that we're going to consider. What is the best way for us to preserve our oneness while serving with a variety of spiritual gifts? What's the best way? Why? Why am I asking that question? Well, because Paul, concluding chapter 12, he says that I'm now, I just talked about how to stay unified, and I just talked about spiritual gifts and how that plays in, and and he first out says that the Holy Spirit is the source of your spiritual gifts. He's the one that's moving and working through all of your gifts, right? One spirit, multiple gifts and ministries, yes? But then he goes on to say, you are one body, which is that word one, comes up over and over and over again. The idea is unity. You're one body with a variety of unique gifts. And then he'll say, but here's how you guys need to interact while you're exercising those gifts. You need to care for one another because you need each other. You need to care for one another because you need each other. And I'm going to say parenthetically here, I said it in the first service, I'll say it again. This is the reason why in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, i.e. in person or virtually, amen. Not in an arbitrary sense, like, hey, you got to be here, and we're going to check and count, right? No, because you are a body. My finger can't do without my palm. My head can't do without the neck. You're needed. You're a part of a family. We are one. So how do we preserve it while we have all these different gifts? Well, come with me now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Are you there? Let everybody say amen if you're there. Okay, and then if you're there, please let me know then by saying, I am here. And then if you're not asleep, please let me know by saying, I'm awake. Amen. Let's dive into the word of God. The Holy Spirit now will instruct us through Paul. Here it is. Verse number one of chapter 13, if I speak with the tongues of men, that's humanity, right? Human beings, and of angels, but do not have what? Love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, yes? If I have the, listen, this is unique to us now. This is very special to us. If I have the what? The gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains, but do not have what? Love, I am nothing. Verse three. And if I have all, and if I give all my possessions to feed the what? The poor. That's an important ministry, amen? We have that ministry flowing out of this church, yes? And even if I surrender my body to be what? Burned. That's martyrdom. That's being like burning at the stake. But if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. In the courts of heaven, it was like, well, that was a waste. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But Paul is elevating an excellent way. Some translations will say a more excellent way. I prefer the translations that actually bring it out that it is the most excellent way. The way of being in the world, the way of being in the body. Notice that Paul just mentioned some of the spiritual gifts. It's because why? He is continuing the same theme. He's continuing the same subject. He's talking about spiritual gifts through three chapters. He mentions speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages. He talks about the gift of prophecy. He talks about knowledge. He talks about faith. He talks about the self-sacrificing, giving to the poor, and even being a martyr. But he's saying, but if you do all of those things and you don't have love, it's meaningless. Pastor CJ, Paul, how do we preserve our oneness here at Plantation SDA? How do we preserve our oneness, our unity, our equality in the body of Christ while serving in our unique spiritual gifts? Paul lets us know. He says, listen, if you serve without love, it's meaningless. It's quiet right now. Is, 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 is that hitting somebody's pew? Is that what happened? Is that what happened? I'm just the messenger, just delivering the mail, okay? If you serve without love, the most excellent way, love being the most excellent way, then it's meaningless. And can we talk real talk this morning? It's like casual sex. It's like the act that people reduce that beautiful gift that God gave us in the garden Two, when you reduce it to just an act, then you've robbed it of its beauty, holiness, and yes, pleasure that God originally intended for husband and wife in the safety and security of a lifelong, faithful, covenant, love relationship. And he made that thing to be good. He made that thing to, the church needs to reclaim and redeem that word from the world because they're having a subpar experience. I'm going to say it again. It's so good to me. And I'm married, so I can testify. They're having a subpar experience of something that God made to actually reveal the intimacy and oneness in the Godhead. From eternity past, it's good. That was inclusive. And when God said he looked at everything he made, including that, and he said, Ooh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. First command Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. It's good. Before sin. So we need to take back that language and actually present before them the beautiful thing and the context, the context by which he says it flourishes, and that's in marriage. Because when it is robbed of that beautiful context and that beautiful, yes, pleasurable, electrifying experience, come on, let all the husband and wives say amen. 
If you're quiet, that's all right. Just look with me straight here. We're, we're, we're all right. And, 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 and so he says, listen, when you don't have that type of experience in that context of marriage, then listen, you're having a subpar experience that's robbing you and ultimately leading you to self-destruction. And in a similar way, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, somebody wants to go there with me really quick. Matthew chapter 7, just go with me real quick. Matthew chapter 7. This is the heart of what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. He's concluding his sermon and the praise team's about to get up and the disciples are getting ready to greet those that come down the aisle. You follow? And as he's talking, go with me now to verse number 22. Verse number 22. Verse number what? 22. And here's what he says. He says, many will say to me in or on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not, and you hear the spiritual gift, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, and by the way, names in the Bible are significant of character, in your character of love, Yahweh revealed in Christ. In your name, we cast out demons. We performed exorcisms. And in your name performed many miracles. And then he will say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. That's his point. I never knew you. Depart from me. In other words, you're not going to be happy here if we're not in love. And watch this. You who practice lawlessness, God's law, whenever you see this in the Bible, no matter what context, God's law is a revelation of God's character of love. Jesus in flesh was the law incarnate. And so God's love, when it says you you who practice lawlessness, it's actually saying is you who practice lovelessness. You have closed off from your heart the ability to love well. It's not arbitrary on God. This depart from me that Jesus is saying here is not like, oh, that was one too many times. Close the gates of heaven. No. By what you've demonstrated and what's actually in your heart, which is lovelessness, you have said, I don't want to be here, and I'm going to give you what you want. We don't know each other. There's no intimacy. There's no relationship. There's no abiding in Christ as a result of the gospel. And this is why love is the excellent way. This is why when we come to the cross and we see the revelation of God revealed in Christ, we need to recognize, number one, that you can't produce the love that this excellent way is talking about. You can't produce it. It's not something you can muster. It's not like you can effort your way into it. White knuckle your way into it. Try harder. That's pointless. That's futile, or else Jesus would not have needed to come and die and rise and fill you with his spirit if you could just do it, yeah? So how do we get God's love abiding in the heart? Come on, be real with me, Pastor today. Be practical with me. How does this thing really work? I mean, I'm hearing this lofty language, but talk to me now, and I'm going to tell you, here's how it works. It works, number one, if you want to love others well, right? Love God, love people. If you want to love others well, then what you first need to do is not try harder to love. What you need to do is you need to fix your gaze on God's character of love. You need to see how deeply he loves you well, intentionally, daily, in the book. 
where his story is unfolding. And every time you open the book, he's saying something and revealing something personally to you about him in an intimacy of relationship. Yada in the Hebrew and Gnosko in the Greek. It means an intimate knowing. I don't know you. It means we don't have an intimacy of relationship. It's very, that word, Adam knew his wife Eve and they produced a child. Now in marriage, it has a sexual connotation. So God's not applying that part to himself, but he's giving you a window into what he's seeking, what he's always wanted from every human being that breathes. Intimacy of relationship. And in that experience, when you come to this book and you see his love unfold from Genesis to Revelation, it's there everywhere. But it's most vividly revealed in the first four books of the New Testament. In the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Messiah. An excellent way. Embodied and enfleshed. When I look at that cross, I see my value, I see my worth. You need to do that every day when you come to this book. He's everywhere. But then what you want to do, and just add this to your prayer life in your time with Jesus Christ, what you want to do is you want to say, Holy Spirit, because Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's wherever Jesus is. It's his job to actually bring Jesus close and reveal him to us and form us into his likeness. And so wherever you're focusing in on Jesus, that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's why when you receive Jesus, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And not just once when you get baptized. When you look at that parable of the virgins, right? The five foolish and the five wise. A big part of that was that they did not continue with the oil. Are you following me? This, I didn't say this. You're getting this. I didn't say this earlier. So you just get this. It's just Holy Spirit right now. So, so the Holy Spirit takes that love that you see in Jesus on the cross and he forms it in you in that daily relationship. So every day you should be saying, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Form me into the love of God that I see in Christ. This is why I've been so privileged to develop a resource called Life in Christ, Daily Devotional Journal, to help people have this experience practically. I feel so, before anybody starts studying any of the 28, I teach them how to have a relationship. Because then the 28 will make sense. They'll have their context. They'll be beautiful, actually, when you know Jesus. So love, that word gets thrown around a lot, does it not? And so Paul now, knowing that there's a variety of ways that people describe love and there's, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding of the word love, he now begins to tell us what love looks like, beginning in verse number four. Go with me there. Verse number four, back in 1 Corinthians 13, here's what he says. Love is patient. Love is what? It's patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. I'm reading from the NASB. It does not seek its own. In other words, it's not self-seeking or selfish. It's not provoked or easily provoked in some translations. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. I'm so tempted right here. Because there's a lot of people in our country right now that wants to believe lies. And if I see my Bible when it talks about this country, 
It seems to talk a lot about deception in Revelation 13, verse 11 to 18. It's important for us to rejoice in the truth. Amen? And the truth about God actually is his love, but I'm going to keep moving. Bear all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Why, Paul? Why did you, why did you actually have us walk through all these attributes of love, right? Well, I believe there's two reasons here in the text. Reason number one. This church in Corinth and Greece, at the time that Paul's writing this, were struggling with bearing this fruit. By the way, this is actually coinciding with the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5.22. He's basically saying the same thing. All of these things are ingredients that when you mix them together, reveals love. The fruit of the Spirit is actually the character of Christ and of the Father. Which leads to why I believe it's his second reason for mentioning these things, verses 4 to verses four to seven, and that is because what he's describing there actually is the character of God, Dane. And that applies to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have all existed, all three, the triune God has existed from all eternity past ever in an ebb and flow of overwhelming, indescribable Love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that was so powerful in experience that they had to create a universe where others with free will could experience it themselves. It was so good. And I want you to try something really quick with me. Please forgive me if it feels a little awkward. Take your finger and go like this. Some people are a little timid. Ah, there we go. There we got some bold saints in the house. Now go right here to your rib and try and wiggle that a little bit. Does that tickle? Of course not, right? But if someone's sitting next to you and, you know, you may not want to do that. Um, or if we do do that, there may be some numbers exchanged later. I don't know. But take your finger and you just do like that. Someone else does it and you get a sensation, don't you? It only works when you have someone else do it to you, doesn't it not? It's a tickle, yes? This is how love works. In order for you to experience love, there can't be a single solitary self, just you. There has to be an other. It's self-sacrificing. It's other-centeredness. It's, it's, it's giving. And you need an other for, for you to experience that. That's why God in, him, in his nature is more than one single solitary self, or else we could not say with intelligence, God is love. That's why he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he is love. He's community. He's relationship. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, family, how do we, what, what, what's the best way, Right? And it's the excellent way of love. And so the excellent way of love, he's saying, preserves our oneness while we serve with a variety of spiritual gifts because it reflects the way of the Godhead. It reflects the way of the Godhead. It's kind of like me and my, my wife, Deidre, that beautiful woman you saw that just, just floated in here from, from the clouds of heaven and sat here with our children. Can all the husbands say amen? Amen. amen. Okay, I, I'm preaching a little happy right now because, you know, hallelujah. So, when we love one another, the way we treat each other, the way we love one another, the way we interact with our kids, they start to mimic it. So, so, so we're very, like, lovey-dovey. We like to hug and, 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 and you know, we like to to play and all that kind of stuff. And so they start to do that hugging and, and, and interacting with each other, Right? But then when we say to my son or my daughter, we say, hey, no, get down from there. Don't touch that. Don't put that in your mouth. Well, we're finding now that our daughter is saying that to my son who's a little bit older than her. 
No, 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 Tommy, because what? He's mimicking mom and dad. And listen, parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. There's a partnership between church, school, and home. But listen, you're the primary disciplers of your, and you embody what you teach. So we can't say, do as I say, not as I do. Because the main thing that they're hearing and learning from is who you are. This was discipleship in the first century with Jesus. The rabbi taught the disciples primarily by being. When he said, follow me, he said, you want to see how Sabbath is kept? Watch me. Chill, rest. Come unto me. And I'm going to give you some instructions now to unpack that for you, but it's what you saw in me. That's parenting. That's discipleship, right? Connect, grow, serve, go. So, so what we're seeing here is that if we want to know how to love as a family, and we want to be one, when you look at the Trinity, when you look at the Godhead, listen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each are love, and have all willingly, of their own choice, not arbitrarily, have taken on certain roles and functions, even for periods of time, to accomplish things for our benefit, our redemption, our salvation. Amen? Example, Jesus, Philippians 1, Philippians 2, uh, 1 to 11, he humbled himself, right? He became flesh, took on the form of a servant, died the death on the cross. He did that for a time, and then he was exalted and went back, Right? Equality with the Father, you follow? But he did that willingly. Mm, oh, oh, man, I'm sitting. I got, the, the brother has to preach. I, I, can't, I can't park too much. But the idea here is, because this informs how we should exist in marriage and in the church, but I'm going to stick on church. The idea here is, is that in the church, then therefore we need to be one. And therefore we need to be able to function in our unique gifts, but still be equal, still be, right, loving, right, still be one. One gift, me standing up here is not more important than you and what you're called and gifted to do. You're a minister of the gospel if you've named the name of Jesus Christ, whatever sphere of influence you have. My function and role is just different. And so if we're going to be able to love, we need to love like the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son love. Their interworkings within the God and how they relate with us. We're their children. We need to actually follow in their ways, and it's the excellent way of love. But Paul now wants to let us know how long that kind of love will last, because we need something that's going to last. Amen? Go to verse 8. Verse 8, the Bible says, love never what? It never fails. Somebody right now that's right now in a dark place, and you're wondering if God really loves you, you need to come back to verse 8. Because it could, also, it could also be said his love for you never fails. Never. It just keeps going. It will pursue you to the end. Ultimately, it's your choice to respond. But you will never, never fail. But listen, well, listen to what he says here. This is important. But if there are gifts of prophecy, hello, they will be done away. Oh, watch out. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Uh-oh. For we know in part, this is Paul speaking, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And listen, here's that famous verse, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I was immature in my walk with Jesus, I was, I was speaking immaturely, I was understanding immaturely, and that's okay because you're a child. But at some point, he says, 
I, you know, after reasoning like a child, after thinking like a child, he says, but when I became a man, in other words, when I grew up to become an adult spiritually, I did away with childish things. Now, here's where we got the inverse often in the churches. We think that when Paul talks about meat versus milk for little babes spiritually, we think that he's talking about some, some specific things. But how many of you know that the actual meat of the word is the love of God. How, how easy was it? How easy was it for you not to say the wrong thing to somebody this week? How easy was it for you not to engage in that futile debate that was happening online? How easy was it for you not to say the wrong thing to your spouse or your children? How easy is it for you to love? Why did Jesus need to come and cover our sins? Because our sins were a result of lovelessness. Lawlessness is lovelessness, your inability to love. Therefore, that lovelessness needs atoning, which is in itself a work of love and grace. So no matter which way you start, it's going to come right back to love. And so what Paul is saying, listen, family, what he's saying here is, he's saying the excellent way of love It preserves our oneness while serving in a variety of spiritual gifts. Listen, because it's eternal reality, love, it's eternal reality will outlast your gifts. Did you hear that? It's eternal, love's eternal reality will outlast your gifts. You may be a good singer. I don't consider myself to be the greatest preacher. I just love Jesus. But I'm telling you, it's functional for a period of time, i.e. until Jesus returns. We're gonna probably do some pretty amazing things in glory, but guess what, right now, Dane, you have an excellent voice. You can play the guitar, I'm blessed. But it will cease. You'll transition into a greater glory. But love will always remain. Therefore, the primary focus of the believer, how do I love well? Whether they are left or right, red or blue or purple, somewhere in the middle, I love you. I care about you. How's your family? How are your kids? Can I do a well check? You need some food. Does a bill need to be paid? Love one another. So simple, but yet so hard. That's why we need Jesus. It's like if you were one day to wake up and say, you know what, I really need to deepen the quality of my friendships and my relationships. And you say to yourself, you know what, I need to really evaluate these relationships because some of them I think might be depending on me because of what I do for them. And when life hits like a pandemic, crisis reveals character. And it shows you in those type of difficult moments when you've got on your back and on your face who your real friends are. And the relationship needs to be based on knowing you and you knowing me, being with you and me knowing you, right? Being on who we are, we just love each other, right? And it can't be based on what we do for one another. And this is what's coming out in the text right now. Love is what's going to be forever. Get used to loving the person next to you because you're going to actually be with them for eternity, Love now. Love well. Your gifts and what you do for one another are outside in the world will cease. It has an expiration date. Love is the main thing. And it's the hardest thing for us to keep the main thing 
the main thing. Love is the excellent way. Love went up to a hill called Calvary, embodied in a person. Love stretched his hands wide and allowed us to crucify him. Love went there and said, Father, <laughs> forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. They are acting a plum fool right now. If they could see who I really were, they would fall on their knees and ask for mercy. But love got up on the third day and said it was worth it all because if I could show them the excellent way, somebody might come down the aisle and actually give their heart to me. Jesus is the excellent way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Family, the whole thing from start to finish is about love. Revealed in Jesus, revealed in you through the Holy Spirit. Shared amongst one another. That's it. That's the book. That's eternity. John 17, 3 will say it this way. Jesus in his prayer to the Father as we close. In his prayer to the Father, he says, this is equal. This is eternal life. That they, you, should know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He doesn't define eternal life, although this is true, as a duration of time or eternity. He defines it in its primary sense of relationship, of knowing God. And to know him is to love him. Are you experiencing that? Is that your reality? And is that so overwhelming and so overflowing and overflow out of your life that it's spilling over into everybody else in your midst? Are they irritating you to the point that you can't love? Really? Do you think that God doesn't get irritated with you? Oh, read the Bible. Oh, yes, he does. He has feelings. But his love never fails. Never. My son right now. Yes, Tommy, come on up, buddy. My son right now, God bless him. My son sometimes does things. We're going to be in the living room right now. Is that all right? My son sometimes does things, you know, as a parent that disappoint, irritate, frustrate. But there are days where I've had, I've been at my wit's end. And this boy will just walk up to me, not knowing anything I went through that day. And he will, and this is, what I, this is how I describe it. He will hug me with his life. You ever got one of those hugs? And in that moment, I was literally on the verge of tears one day when he did that. And I said, Tommy, no, I didn't even tell him, actually. I felt that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I'm hugging you through him. One pastor I really appreciate, Joseph Kabazi said, he said that the church, all right, go to mom. He said that the church is the Holy Spirit with flesh on, with skin on. We can pray, God, be with me right now. Hug me, Lord. Embrace me, Lord. But he needs another person that he's feeling to actually do it. He needs us to love one another so that people can experience tangibly the love of God. He's desperate to love through you. It's good that he loves me, but he wants to love through me. He wants to love through you. Who wants to receive that today? You want to stand right now? Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? You want his love to permeate your life? Carry you through a pandemic? And yes, carry you through last day events? 
then learn how to love and learn how to love well. Receive his love. You may want to take the next steps. That's on the number right there. You're on online. You want to put something in the chat or you're here. You want to take those next steps. Please see someone here so that we can go ahead and get you on those next steps. But you want to pray now and say, God, I need the excellent way. I need Jesus. Then I invite you to pray now. Father in heaven, it's your breath that's in our lungs. It's your love that, f- that fills our very being. It's your way, it's your love that literally defines what flourishing in life actually looks like. There is nothing, literally nothing greater than your love. We can't exhaust the subject. There are 28 ways in our community of faith that we can talk about the subject because that is our fundamental belief. Love, that's the premise through which we approach any subject. The love of the Father revealed in Christ placed in us through the Spirit. Somebody's receiving that right now, Father, and I pray that you'll seal that decision. Holy Spirit, you are the guarantee, the seal of our guarantee of our inheritance. And you want to spend eternity with us. Father, teach us how to love. This is eternal life. Learning how to love is the quality and we can experience it right now. We thank you in advance. We thank you in advance what you're going to do in the lives of those who hear the word and apply it by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seven-Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.